Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Hey, let's take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be today, and we got some work to do, but I'm excited to walk through this passage, and let me just ask you, how many of you have ever been on a rough airplane flight that when the wheels touched the ground, everyone on the flight applauded? Have you been there before? Yeah, some of you, right? Your prayer life has gone up significantly during the flight, and in that moment, is thank you, Jesus, right? And you're thankful for that moment, like, man, the wheels have hit the ground. Well, I want to tell you today, I hope that our journey through 1 Corinthians has not been uh, turbulent, but we do find ourselves at a place today where, in a sense, our wheels are going to hit the ground on this book. After, tonight, or after today, uh, we have, I believe, three weeks left. And so uh, we're kind of landing the plane today, and then we're going to taxi uh, to the gate over the next couple of weeks to finish out the book. But it's been an incredible journey for me personally. I hope that it's been a great journey for you. And today, if you're jumping in for the very first time, if you've not been a part of this. Listen, I'm glad you're here, and I believe that there's going to be a takeaway for you today and how this book and this passage specifically we're going to look at, how it can touch and impact your life. You know, as a pastor, I get a lot of questions that people ask me. A lot of times about spiritual things or things in the church or church history or all kinds of stuff. And one of the kind of running themes of questions that I get often has to do with the end times. What's it going to look like? How's this all going to turn out? Especially when someone walks through a loss in their family. And they're asking, Michael, what what is it going to be like for them? What is it going to be like for us? And then I get the question of, well, Michael, in eternity, will I be able to know my loved one? Will I recognize my loved one? question that I had, even from a young child, I remember thinking about when my grandfather passed away, thinking, okay, so like in eternity, when I see my grandfather, will I see him, uh, you know, as I understand him to be? And, and, and what about like my grandma, when she sees him, will she see him as like the old man that I recognize him as, or will she see him as like that strapping military man that she married, right? Like the young man, like what's it going to look like? There's all sorts of questions that we have about the end times. And when you come to me with those questions, I will tell you with all the confidence I have, I will tell you, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us the answers to every question that we have, but it does give us some answers. And today we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how Paul is going to give us some answers today about what life looks like, how this thing, how it unfolds when it comes to the very end. Today we're going to see In chapter 15, starting in verse 35, we're going to go almost to the very end of the chapter. We're going to see that death is defeated and believers have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. That death is defeated and believers have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to look at this first section today. We're going to read it uh, in this initial reading time together. And then we'll work through the rest of the chapter. Beginning in verse 35, the Apostle Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man that was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, today we come to you asking for your grace towards us. And Lord, as we look at this passage and examine, Lord, the information that it is going to teach us about what this is going to look like when you call believers to yourself. Lord, our prayer today is not just to gain new information, but it is for the transformation of our lives. For some of us today, it needs to be that transformation of moving from spiritual death to spiritual life by giving our lives to you. And I pray, Lord, and trusting that you're going to do that today. But also, Lord, for those that are in Christ today, that we know, Lord, our desire is to grow more and more and more like you. So, God, would you use that passage to that end, and would you help us grow in our knowledge and understanding of you in such a way that, it, that we bend our life to that truth? Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. may God bless the reading of his word. I want to remind you that Paul's writing to this church in Corinth is people that he dearly loves, people that he dearly knows. He spent significant time with them over a year and a half. In fact, he was the one that started the church, uh, has deep relationships with these people. And now he's writing to them for various reasons. Some is that he's heard reports of what's happening in the church and in the community. But also he's aware of different questions they may have that he's answering or positions they may hold that he's questioning to help them get a better understanding of what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ. And apparently there was discussion happening in the church and in the community about what is this all going to look like when God wraps it all up. I want to remind you that Corinth is a Greek city, meaning they are a part of Greek culture with Greek philosophers. And there was a mindset that a disembodied eternity was to be favored over one of a physical flesh. Uh, they believed that the physical flesh was, was evil, was, it was deteriorating constantly. Why would you want anything to do that? And so at death there was a freedom that was found and that now you were this disembodied spirit that would exist. And so Paul, understanding the, the culture in which they grew up in, potentially some people in Corinth that were embracing that view for believers, and Paul now is going to correct them by, as we see at the beginning of the chapter, reminding them of the significance of Christ's physical bodily resurrection. 
And with that foundation, he works through this chapter reminding them, listen, if the bodily resurrection, a physical resurrection is not true, he says we among all people should be pitied. This is all for nothing. He continues in this chapter showing them the sequence of which it is going to happen. It's going to take place. And we bring ourselves to verse 35 today where he's going to answer the question, how? How is this going to take place? I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that we're able to look at the resurrected Jesus. And there's some things that we can pull away that can give us some hints about what that's going to look like. But Paul today is going to dive into answering this question. It's almost as if he's in this argument with an imaginative person. The, the, the term is diatribe. He's, he's using diatribe here to get across his point. And it's almost as if he's in this continued argument with someone, not in a, not in a rude way necessarily, but just this back and forth where those have said, well, there is no resurrection. And Paul would say, no, there is a resurrection. And so they would respond, well, okay, if there is, then what are we even going to be like? And Paul says, thanks for asking, you fool. And now he's going to answer for us today, what is the nature of the resurrection? What is the nature of our resurrection? And he answers it. Go with me down to verse 42. Because I want you to see clearly what his answer is. And then we're going to circle back and we're going to see the foundation that he lays for why he is so confident of what our resurrection is going to look like when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. He says in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. So there's verbiage that he uses here about something being sown and something being raised. As we're going to see here, he's going to use the image of a seed. We know that when a seed goes into the ground, the seed must die. And then in the dying of that seed, life may come. And it's with that picture that he says here that we are sown into the ground. That in death, if, the, if Jesus tarries, 100% of us in here are going to experience it. It is coming for all of us. And he says we are sown, we are laid into the ground. And he says of the body that is laid into the ground, there's four things that he gives us. And then he's going to contrast that with the body that is raised. Uh, look with me here in, again in verse 42. He says we are sown in corruption raised in incorruption. It's a reminder for us, as Scripture tells us, that we are all like tents. The outward body is wasting away, right? At some point, there was a moment in your life that it was the very best that you would ever look physically. For some of you, you're on the downhill side of that. For some of you, you're on the uphill side of that. For some of you, you've convinced yourself it's every single day of your life, right? But our bodies are wasting away. They are corruptible. Decay is a reality for the physical body. We cannot get around it no matter how much surgery or Botox or whatever you use. It is coming for all of us. It is sown in corruption, but look at what he says. It is raised. This is God doing the raising here. It is raised in incorruption. It means that the physical body on the other side of the resurrection of the dead will be different. It will not be an outward tent that is wasting away. He goes on to say there in verse 43 that it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. When he uses this word dishonor here, he's thinking about the impact of the sin nature on our bodies. 
that sin has ravaged every single one of us. It has touched every part of our lives, including our physical body. And so the body that is laid into the ground is that one that even though if you're a believer in Christ, you have been set free from sin, but you still struggle with temptation to sin. There is a dishonor in that, but, but that body is put into the ground, but the one that comes up is raised in glory. It goes on to say it is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. 44, it is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. There are some people that would want to say, oh, there we go. Right? It's sown a natural body, the physical goes into the ground, but it is raised a spiritual or a disembodied body. But that's not the idea that he's saying here. He's saying there's a distinct difference here between what is put into the ground and what comes up out of the ground at the resurrection. Now, he's going to give, as I said, he's going to give a foundation for this argument that he's going to say here. And there's two things really that he wants to point out to those in Corinth and it's helpful for us today about this resurrection that will take place for those that, as scripture says, that bear the image of the man of heaven. Meaning you are in Christ. You have trusted in him as your personal Lord and Savior. You've asked him to come into your life, to forgive your sin. You've committed to take up your cross and to follow him. He's saying there's two things that are distinct for the one in Christ. One, there is a continuity. If you're taking notes, you write that word down. There's a continuity that exists. At the same time, there is a discontinuity that exists. It is same and it is different at the exact same time. Let's look at how he argues that and how he lays this foundation for us. Look with me back in verse 36. You fool, what you sow does not come to life. Unless it dies. There's that picture of the seed going into the ground and dying. He says, and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. This is where he's talking about the continuity that will exist with our resurrected body. Right? If I were to hold a, 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 a seed of wheat today in my hand and I were to hold some wheat that was ready to be harvested, I would have two different things in my hand at the same time, both of them would be wheat, wouldn't they? They would both be wheat. It's the idea that it can be two different things, but there is a continuity that exists. In the same way, I could tell you today, for some of you that are, that are in the, in the, uh, you're in the third and fourth quarter of life, I could tell you, go home today and take out your yearbook from high school. Maybe you don't want to do that today. But, but you would see pictures of yourself when you were younger. Well, the reality is you look a lot different than you did then, don't you? But it's still the same person. There is a continuity that exists. He, he wants the believers to understand that it's not the issue of our physical body goes into the ground and then God is going to give us some other body. No, he's saying there is a continuity. It is a seed, and then it becomes wheat. It is an acorn, and then it becomes an oak. It is a corruptible body, and then it becomes an incorruptible body. But it is the same body. So there's a continuity that exists, but at the same time, he says there's a discontinuity that exists. If you look at the following verse there, he begins to say, not all flesh is the same flesh. And in fact, what Paul's going to do is he's going to go back to creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and he's reminding us from creation of what God did in creation. He says, listen, not all flesh is the same. He goes in reverse order here from day 6 to day 5 to day 4, talking about uh, 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 he made humans in one flesh and birds in another and fish, animals, birds, and fish, right? I don't need to spend a lot of time today explaining to you how your flesh is different from that of a fish. He's saying it's different. 
And he goes so far as to say there's a difference not just among the earthly bodies, but there's a significant difference between the earthly bodies and the heavenly bodies. And he uses the word there, splendor. It can be a a word that is also used, we see later on, of glory. There's a difference there. And again, he goes back to creation, talking about um, the sun and the moon and the stars. He says, even among the stars, there are differences. And so it's almost as if Paul is imagining that these people are wondering or they're asking questions or they're doubting Paul. And Paul's saying, listen, the idea of a body that is raised from the dead, that is significantly different from the one that goes in the ground, that's not a problem for God. It's not a problem because of his power and his might. It's also not a problem from God because we've seen him already do it in creation from the very beginning. There is a significant difference. Daniel chapter 12, we see a picture of this. You're going to have to just listen to me. In Daniel chapter 12 in the Old Testament, this idea of the resurrection that would come and the continuity and yet the discontinuity of a body that would be raised significantly better than the one that went into the ground. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. There's a picture there of the resurrection. Some to eternal life, those that are in Christ, and to some in disgrace and eternal contempt, those that are in Adam. Listen to what he says here. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I believe that Paul has these two verses in mind when he's arguing here about the splendor that is found in the heavenly bodies. And he goes on there in 42 through 44 and following of thinking about this idea of the spiritual body, of being that body in splendor. So we see the significant difference, but yet at the same time, the same body in the nature of the resurrection. For those that are in Christ, when that trumpet sounds and Christ comes for his people, your same body will rise from the dead, but it will be unlike any physical body you have ever experienced. Paul sums up this entire thought for us in the book of Philippians, verse 3, verse 21. In a sense, he uses about, I don't know how many verses here, 14 verses, to say what he says in one verse. I know some of you think, Michael, that's a good idea. You should share that with your preaching, right? But... But listen to what he says here in Philippians 3.21. He says, he, God, will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So he sums it up there. He will transform our body of humble condition, corruptible, dishonor, weakness, natural, He will transform that body into one of splendor, one that is incorruptible, one of glory and power, one that is spiritual. You hear that today and you say, Michael, that's that's helpful. That's helpful to understand. Maybe you didn't have a clue. Maybe you've had questions. And again, that doesn't answer all of our questions about what it will look like. But it does help us to know the significance of those, for those that are in Christ, of what we look for, the hope that we have. That there is a better day that is coming even for our bodies. But I want you to understand today that we can look at this and we can see the nature of it. We can determine that that's neat. But today I don't want you to miss that Paul wants you to know the necessity of it. The necessity of this resurrection. Why this is important for you today right here in northeast Louisiana. Look at me beginning in verse 50. 
He says, what am I saying, brothers and sisters? What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Now, he, he couldn't say that any more plain for us today. What I'm saying is this. So, so what, he's, what he's just talked about, there, the nature of it, he goes on, we skipped over it, but talking about being in the image of the man of dust, of Adam, as opposed to the man of heaven in Christ. What I'm saying is this, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's thinking here about all of eternity and what awaits in eternity. When he says flesh and blood, he is talking about our physical bodies. And he makes it crystal clear here of the necessity. Flesh and blood, these bodies cannot experience eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because these physical bodies have been ravaged by sin. They are corruptible. And the place to which the believer is going is that which is forever. And let me tell you, you won't enjoy forever if you're in a body that isn't going to last forever. So there is the necessity of a bodily resurrection. And I want you to catch this. How many of you, you, you have someone in your life, they're, they're one of those what about people. Like, it's one thing if it's a kid, but when you have an adult in your life that is always asking what about, they, they're just annoying, aren't they? Do you know what I'm talking about? Hey, we're going to run to the store. Well, what about this? We'll, we'll take it. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about you close your mouth, right? Uh, yeah, some of you are with me. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't got some amens here. Maybe you're just nervous because of who you're sitting next to, right? But, but, but right, they're just constant. What about, 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 right? And listen, as Paul is processing through this, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing this out, not just, again, for these believers, but for us. I think for Paul, he has in mind of some people that are some whatabouts. Because he's using all this language and speaking to the dead in Christ, those are sown, that are in the ground and die. And when, when the trumpets sound, when Christ returns, then, then they will be raised in this transformed, glorified body. Well, what about those who haven't died? Paul says, I'm going to answer it before you ever ask it. Look at what he says here in verse 51. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. This simply means I'm giving you information you didn't have beforehand. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. This is the word for death. He's thinking of death here. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Paul recognizes that when Christ returns, there will be those that are still living, that are still walking this earth in their corruptible body. He says, what about it? He says, well, listen, we will all be changed. There will be a transformation that takes place. And I want you to notice this. He says, in a moment. It will take place in a moment. That word is where we get the word Adam from. It's, it's the smallest idea of thought here of something that cannot be split in half. You take an hour, you can split it into 30 minutes. You take a minute, you can split it into two things in 30 seconds. You take 10 seconds, you split it into two things of five seconds, right? You take a second, you can split it into two half seconds, right? He's saying it, it will happen in a moment. In fact, he says here in the twinkling of an eye, John MacArthur in his sermon, he breaks this down and to help us understand, I think I have this right. He says a, a microsecond is one one millionth of a second, a microsecond. A nanosecond is one one thousandth of a microsecond. 
the rate in which light goes into the eye is one-sixth of a nanosecond. Paul says, in a moment, for those that are in Christ, when the trumpet sounds, we will be changed. Paul speaks of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we will be caught up with them in the air. He's answering the what about. It is necessary for our bodies to be changed, whether they're laying in the ground or whether they are walking the earth. When Christ comes, when that trumpet, when that, that trumpet of victory comes. And he goes on, again, we see the necessity of it here in 53 and 54. For this corruptible body, look at what he says, must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this moral body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, now here we go. This is the crescendo moment, I believe, not just of chapter 15, but the entire book. This is the moment where the wheels touch the ground and the party erupts. This is why, hear me today, this passage matters. Look at what he says here. He goes back to, the, to Isaiah 25 and to Hosea chapter 13. That when Christ returns, when the trumpet sounds and the transformation takes place, he says here, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? If you remember back in, verse, in chapter 15, in verse 26, he said that when Christ returns, the last enemy to be abolished is death. And Paul here is this explosion of emotion. This explosion of hope that when the trumpet sound in Christ comes, that death will be no more. It is swallowed up in victory. The word swallowed up, it means to be completely engulfed in. I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid growing up, watching those action movies and TV shows in the 80s, some, you know, watch some that were in the late 70s that were still playing. I think I had convinced myself that I was going to die by quicksand. Are you with me? For some of my Gen Xers in the room, maybe my boomers in the room, it seemed like every action movie had someone get caught in quicksand. And so here you are, some little kid just thinking, man, I'm going to be walking down the alley. I'm going to step into some grass. No, it's going to be quicksand and I'm gone and no one will know. Maybe today, I, well, <laughs> I tell people I have two big fears in my life. One is kidney stones and two is sinkholes. I think those are legitimate fears for someone to have. And don't send me an article every time you see a sinkhole happen somewhere in America. All right, I already have people doing that. I don't need you as well, all right? But, but can I give you some comfort today? There is like a 0.0000% chance that you're going to die in quicksand. Like it physically is not possible for you to die in quicksand. But the fear was always is that I'm going to be swallowed up in it, right? I'm going to be engulfed in it. Listen, while we don't have to stress about quicksand, we can rejoice today that because of what Christ did on the cross and because of Jesus coming to restore all things and to give the kingdom to the Father, that death and the sting of death is gone. Amen? Now here's the challenge. We still feel the sting today, don't we? Right, as I look out and I see some of your faces, I've walked with some of you 
through the loss of a spouse, a longtime spouse. I've walked with you through the loss of a child. And we feel the sting, don't we? In fact, I'll tell you that I mean, there's, there's a lot of hard things that you do as a pastor. There's a lot of hard things you do in your vocation, right? We, we all have difficult things that we do, and that's part of the nature of, of what we do. But one of the hardest things that I do as a pastor is when we facilitate a funeral service here, and there's a casket right down here, and we get up and we honor the person, and we speak to the hope that is found in Christ, and the Scripture tells us that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord and the hope that we have that the resurrection that is coming one day. And, and then we close out the service. And you've, many of you have experienced it in this room or in Fiesel Chapel or in another chapel, another church. And then they have the moment for the friends to walk by one last time. They open the casket if it hasn't been opened. And all the friends make their way down. And they, they take one last look and then they make their way out. And only the family remains. And at that point, the pastors are typically right down here on the floor, and we're greeting people as they, as they walk out. But then that moment comes when all the doors shut in this room, and it is just the family seated right here. And at that moment, you feel the sting of death. For this family, they have processed the emotions of loss and they are still processing. But it is that moment of knowing this is the last time my eyes will see my loved one's face until glory. And there's, there's no controlling it. There, there's no how-to. There's no book on how it should go. And in that moment as a pastor, you just stand here and you just see the sting of death. And you see the heartbreak of people that you love so much. And, and it stinks. And let me tell you today, there is a day that is coming when that sting will be no more. And Paul tells us that the power of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We know that. But he says, look, I want you to see this in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as hard as it is to stand here and to see the grief, there's a moment for these families when they are confident of their loved one's faith in Christ. When that grief, it never leaves. But there is a hope that carries them. A hope that there is a victory that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. The victory that Jesus in John chapter 14 told his followers. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, for I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, many dwelling places. And he says, if I go, I will come for you. It's what Paul's speaking of here, that moment when he is going to come for those that have experienced death and for those that are walking in a moment they'll be changed to experience the victory of eternal life forever with him in a new glorified body. So what's the takeaway today? What do you do with this understanding? The question for you today is this. Are you going to be a part of it? As you sit here, do you have a, deep, a deep-rooted confidence in your soul that, Michael, when that day comes, I know that because of Christ, I'm going to be a part of that great getting up morning. I'm going to be a part of knowing that, that this corruptible body was sown into the ground. 
but there is an incorruptible one that will come up. I know that because of what Christ has done for me and my faith in Christ, that this body was laid down in weakness, but it will be raised in power. It was raised in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. It was raised a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body to be with him in his presence forever. Do you have that confidence and that hope? Here's the great news today. You can do it simply by putting your faith and your trust in him. Have you ever done that? Maybe your student's been a part of Spin Weekend and you've seen God do something significant in their life and it has been eating you up all week because you recognize that your child has something that you don't. Listen, today the opportunity for you to trust Christ is right now, right here. I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me today. Just a moment here, just so you know what's about to happen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together after we pray. And then we're going to sing together. We're going to sing together in victory of what's to come. And so right now in this moment, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't have that confidence that you're going to be a part of this great resurrection that will take place right now in this moment, in your heart, with your own words, just express to God recognition of the sin in your life and understanding that that sin has separated you from a holy God but today you're ready to be forgiven of that sin to be made right in a relationship with God or maybe today you're here and you're a believer in Christ scripture's clear that when we come to the Lord's table we don't come flippantly Right now in this moment, as you think about what's to come and the hope that death has been defeated and there is hope for the believer, today you center your heart in on today. There's anything in your relationship with the Lord that you need to confess, you need to bring to Him. Lord invites you to do it. The Bible's clear. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Just bring it to Him today. today we recognize that this passage is a lot about us growing in our knowledge and our understanding of what's to come Lord I pray that it would bolster confidence in our hearts that with you and you alone is the victory and the greatest enemy that we face, face is death and it is inescapable for all of us and you and you alone hold the keys, the authority over it and while we still feel the sting of it now, we know that there is a day that is coming where that sting will be no more for those that bear the image of Christ so today I pray for those that right now in this moment God are giving their hearts to you for all of us today. Even some of us are facing difficult moments, difficult seasons, Lord, that we would be reminded with you is the victory and to keep walking by faith. Thank you for this word today in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope again that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. 
I just wanna extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.